Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. So tonight's study is going to be called How to Know It Came from God. How to Know It Came from God. Now, this is another one of those important teachings that we're going to have to do and go through because a lot of people spend most of their lives wondering, you know, what came from God? If Did it come from him? Did it come from somebody else? A lot of people think it's their own success. And then some people think they just got lucky, you know, but I think it's important that we know what comes from God and what doesn't, even if it's a job, even if it's money. Even if it's a girlfriend, a husband, or a wife, this is so important that we know if it came from God or not. And the only way we're going to know this is if we know God. And that's what this whole teaching is going to be about. We're going to touch on several different topics concerning knowing God and knowing what came from God. Because one thing we know about our God is He doesn't want His people to be ignorant, He doesn't want them to walk around in darkness when he said that he is the true light. So this is just so important that we're going to go over and we're going to get into. And, you know, like I said, I have seen countless times where people would come here and, you know, have their lives a mess, you know, and everything. They would come in for two weeks, two or three weeks, hear the gospel, want to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And then before you know it, they got a job offer making six figures. And then the person would say, you know, I believe that this came from the Lord or that the Lord blessed me. But I would often wonder, as I said so many times before, you know, is that really the truth? Because you see, God's word does one, does two things. God's um, word will not, I mean, God's will and God's blessings will one, not contradict the word of God, not contradict scripture. And then it will, I mean, it will glorify God. So we understand that every purpose that God gives us and things he wants us to do is all about glorifying glorifying him and it will not go against scripture, okay? So we know that if God holds his word above his name, then everything that comes from God is gonna fall in line with God's purpose. And in order for us to know our purpose or to know whether something is a blessing or curse or distraction, or something that God wants us to dive into has got to be us knowing God, okay? So let's uh, go into prayer real quick and then we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day as we come before you with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. And Lord, we just ask that you watch over those who couldn't be here today. We ask that you look after them that you guide them through their lives, Lord, for we know that aside from you, we can do absolutely nothing. And Lord, I pray that your people have more intimacy with you. I pray that they not ignore that prayer closet. I pray that they hang on every word that you say so that your word can be taught and that your people may have direction, for you are the good shepherd and we are your sheep. And as you said, Lord, my sheep know my voice. 
So Lord, I just pray for deeper intimacy with you that we may not get caught with the cares of this life or the snare of the devil because the devil is good at what he does, Lord. He will try and entice you through the things that are in your own heart. But if we remove those things and that we walk in the flesh, we will not obey. The, I mean, if we walk in the spirit, we will not obey the things of the flesh. So I just pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray that no flesh be glorified, but I pray by your spirit and your spirit alone that you may edify us and teach us your message, that your Holy Ghost will come here and saturate us, that we may learn and grow and adopt the ways of Jesus Christ. For Lord, that is why you came. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I just pray tonight that the Lord will open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of people that they may understand that God's word tells us everything that we need to know. But if you want the deep things of God, if you want to die in and draw closer to the Lord, then you have got to be in line with knowing God. David Wilkerson said it best, you know, he talked about how we can have a lot of understanding of things and understanding the word. But David Wilkerson said that he wanted messages that spoke from the heart of God. And if you ever listen to a David Wilkerson message, that is exactly what he does. He speaks from the heart of God. That man never kids around. You know, he may crack one joke and it's not even meant to be funny. But one thing you feel in a David Wilkerson message is convicted. Again, tonight's study is how to know it came from God. This is so important because God's word and God's gifts will never contradict scripture and it will glorify God in the end, okay? So a lot of people wonder if they were in godly relationships and godly situations. You just gotta ask yourself one thing, does it go in line with God's word? And does it glorify God? That would be your answer right there. You would think from that point on, we can just say, oh, well, now let's just get over with it and close the book. But no, we're going to go into scripture because there are many examples of things that glorify God and things that don't. And God gave us his holy word that you and I may be protected. So let's go to Proverbs 3 and let's look at verse 1. Proverbs 3 and verse 1. And we're going to go from there. Open up with a good word of wisdom. All right. All right. So this is Proverbs 3. Let's look at verse 1. And he says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Now we must understand why Solomon was saying this. He didn't say, he said, Don't forget the law. Okay, that is God's law, what he tells you and I to do. But he says to uh, let your heart keep my understanding. Do we realize that if God's word doesn't get to the heart, then it's just words on the page. God's word has to reach the heart in order for you and I to do what God says. Outside of that, we're just doing religious works. Look at verse two. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thy heart. 
So what Solomon is describing here in verse three, when he says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, he's saying, man, don't push these things away. Walk with these things, mercy and truth. And then he says, um, you know, bind them about your neck and write them upon the table of thine heart. So what's important about this is we know from reading the Old Testament and the New that for those who are not anchored in the Holy Ghost, they're considered stiff-necked. When you don't obey the Spirit of God and you go in your own ways, okay, and you resist the Holy Ghost, they were considered stiff-necked people. So when you look at this, he's talking about mercy and truth. We can't have that aside from the Holy Spirit. So he says, bind them about thy neck, meaning let them guide you. And then he says, uh, write them upon the table of thine heart. Now, you know, in Jeremiah 31 and 31, it was spoken that one day that the law that God gave them would be written in the heart, not on two tables of stone, but in the heart. Now, we know that this act was done by the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is the only real way that you and I can know God. I mean, we can read the word and we can get some understanding of God and what he wants, but to know the Lord, you have got to be spirit to spirit with God. So look at verse four, he says, so shalt thou find favor and understanding and good understanding in the sight of God and man. So when you write those tables in your heart, you have God's spirit, you will find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Verse five says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. This is something that we do all too well when we think that we know something. God may give us a little knowledge, a little understanding, a little bit of what he wants us to do in walking with him. And you know, when we start out walking with God, he's holding our hand. And then we all get to the point where we're just marching. You know, we're just walking ahead of him because we think we know the way. This is why we get snared because it says, trust in him with all your heart. You know what that means? You're gonna consult God before you make any decisions, even planning out your day, even your weekend, even what your career will be, whatever it is, you're gonna put your trust in your heart with God, give him all of it. Because when you give God all of it, he'll decide what to do with it. And either way, you will be pleased in doing the work of God. And he says, lean not on thine own understanding. Like I said, if God doesn't have your full heart, you will lean on your own understanding. God will show you things about what he wants. He'll show you things about relationships you have. He'll show you things concerning the preachers that preach before you and ministers. But if you don't want to receive it, then you'll sit right there and lean on your understanding instead of looking for God's. So then he says in verse six, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge God and he shall direct thy paths. David Wilkinson said something else that was really amazing, you know, because he says we spend a lot of time in our prayer closet doing the talking. But you see, how much of it do we really just sit there and wait to hear what God has to say? You know, and he has an awesome teaching. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but when I get it, I'll, um, you know, send it out to everybody. But you know, this is really awesome how he said that he got ready to leave his prayer closet because he, you know, praised the Lord. He worshiped and everything. And he said, the Lord told him, David, don't leave. 
You know, like I've got, I've got some things that I want to share with you in my heart. And you see, we don't, and how many times have we got ready to leave the prayer closet and you can hear that voice of the Lord, but you look at the time and say, well, it's been 45 minutes. So, you know, obviously we conclude what we have to say at this point. But you see, God told David not to leave because God wants deeper intimacy with us. He even brought up the point, because tonight's not going to be about David Wilkerson, but I love that he gave understanding. And he even said for Enoch that the Holy Ghost told him concerning him why God took him is because Enoch pleased the Lord. Enoch became so spirit to spirit with God that God told Enoch, you know what? And come and be with me. Come and spend time with me because this is where you belong. That connection was so intense and so deep that God says, I'm going to reward you by coming with me. He, he's the only one that he didn't let live out the rest of his years. He and um, Elijah later on, but you can have such a deep connection with God that God wants to spend a lot of time with you. And see, that's something that we don't understand on this side of things because we look at it like I got a schedule, but you really don't have a schedule when you're really a Christian. Jesus says the wind blows where it listed and neither can anyone tell the sound thereof whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. We should be going in line with the accordance of the spirit. Whatever the spirit wants you and I to do, that's what we should be doing. But what do we find ourselves doing? Leaning on our own understanding. Well, you know, God understands. You speak for God. He understands. I got a job. He understands I got to make money. He understands I got to be in love with somebody in order to have a relationship and whatever. But you see, when you don't wait on God, you go with your timing and everything gets thrown into chaos. But when you wait on him and you go according to his word and what he tells you, you cannot go wrong with God. Look at verse six. Oh, I read that. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. We should consult God for every single thing. He says, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So this is a big part of, it's not just enough that you give God all your heart. The Bible makes clear that one of the seven spirits of God in Isaiah chapter 11 is the fear of the Lord. We don't realize that the fear of the Lord, you know, keeps you out of trouble not just fear of him destroying you and going to hell, that's most of it. But then the other part is when you become close to him, you don't want to disappoint God. You really don't because you know what it is to disappoint him. And you know what it's like when you're born again, that the Holy Ghost gets grieved. Okay. And when the Holy Ghost feels grieved, it just gives you this feeling of unworthiness. Like, man, why didn't I just listen, Lord, I didn't spend enough time with you. You told me to pray but I went out and did what I wanted to do and now look at the result. But you see, the fear of the Lord is what keeps you in line. Love is not just enough. You need to also know that when your heart goes beyond God, that there are consequences waiting for you, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, praise the Lord. So he says, you know, don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, depart from evil. See, a lot of us won't do evil, but we stay connected with evil and around it. And when you do that, you're going to find yourself disappointing God. You've got to depart from evil, turn around and walk away from it and make sure it's nowhere in your midst so you won't touch it. So look at uh, verse eight. It shall be health to thy navel 
and marrow to thy bones. So you see the word of the Lord and the fear of God go in line with each other. We are supposed to obey him to the place of Lord, whatever you say, do, I will do. When Jesus was asked, why don't you just make these stones and the bread in the wilderness? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is the way it's supposed to be. That is how it has to be if we're gonna walk with God. And the only way we're gonna do all of this is knowing God. Let's go to um, 1 John chapter four. 1 John chapter four. We've got to know what comes from God and what doesn't. That's why the Bible even tells you in, um, I believe it's in uh, 1 Peter 5 and 8, he said, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's why a Christian needs to learn to take his life a lot more serious and any decision I make can be detrimental to me. So I need to seek God so I don't fall into these snares. That's what this whole thing is about. So we're gonna begin in verse one. This is 1 John 4 and one. Take a little drink of water. Get right in. 1 John 4 and one, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. That means to test them whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So you see, there's nothing wrong with testing and trying the spirits. The Lord never just says, well, if it sounds right, go for it. He says, try the spirit, test it. And he's gonna explain how. Look at verse two. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. So some people could say, well, I do sit in churches where people confess God, and I don't really see the problem with it. But we gotta understand what confession means so that we can have deeper understanding this, because a lot of people feel like, well, I'm in a place where God has confessed. Let's see. So this is 1 John 4. And I believe I'm at what? Uh, look at verse 3. Okay, no, verse 2. So here's the word confesseth. It's G3670. Okay, and that word means, it says, uh, to say the same thing as another to agree with, assent, to concede, not to refuse, to promise, not to deny, to confess, declare, to confess, to admit, to declare oneself guilty of what one is accused of, to profess. And it means to declare openly, speak out freely, to profess oneself, the worshiper of one, uh, to praise and celebrate. Now, some people can say, well, they do profess Christ. Yeah, but what do they profess about him? Do they profess his coming in the flesh? Do they profess that you and I have to live that way? You see, do they profess that while you and I walk in the flesh, that we should be walking as Jesus Christ walked? There's a big difference there than someone just saying, 
Jesus came down 2,000 years ago to die for our sins. Okay, we all know that. But the bottom line is now what do we do with our confession? Do we live the way that the Lord says to live and do what he says? Or do we just confess him with our lips, like Jesus says, but our hearts are far from him? So you see, when you confess, you're not just going to talk about it. You're going to be about it. And that will prove what is righteous and what is not. So then he says that um, everyone that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. The word anti means against or in place of. So if you find anything against or in place of Christ, that is not a confession of Jesus Christ. Like, for example, you get guys like Joe Osteen, they want to talk about prosperity, you know, but they'll say the Lord's name repeatedly, but, you know, God wants you to have a good life. Jesus wants you to do this. Yeah, what kind of good life? Is it one that's pleasing to God or all you can have in this life? Anytime you take away the true gospel with a confession of another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, that is the spirit of Antichrist, which is against God. So a lot of people may say, well, Joe Osteen walks the walk and talks the talk. I've heard this from people in his own church. Yeah, he he definitely, he's definitely a man of God. He will give. Okay, so how can you base that if that is true? By what he says or the way that he lives? Because last I heard, there was no man of God living in a $90 million mansion, okay, with a stadium full of people that they've got to pay to come in. So that's not a confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's a confession of another Jesus and how they want people to walk after his false gospel. So anyway, look at verse four. He says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, so that means the Holy Ghost in you, Christ in you, is greater than anything that's in the world. So what he's telling you and I is we've got the capability or the capacity to overcome the world. Look at verse five. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them. So now I'm beginning to get more understanding that when he gave them what the confession was, he's also running down a list of what a confession looks like. He says, if they're of the world, and you can tell this because they speak of the world. I don't know how people can sit in churches and not see that a pastor is worldly if he's talking to you about worldly things. If his mind is focused on the carnal, how can he be spiritual? The Bible says that those two don't run together, okay? When you think of spiritual things, you mind spiritual things and you'll speak of spiritual things. When you think of carnal things, that's what you're going to talk about. A lot of people will tell you about the love of Jesus and how he is good and he's everything that we need but then they'll take that confession and bring it right to worldly stuff and material possession. So you know that is not the spirit of God. So he says again in verse five, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. 
So another way that we can know if we know God is if we can hear God, as if the gospel doesn't make us recoil from it or the gospel isn't repellent to us. If we can hear what God says, now, you know, hearing is not just you listening with your ears, hearing is action. If someone were to tell me, hey, can you go get me a glass of water or go get me that glass of water and I go to get it, that means I heard that. If I say, okay, and I don't move, then that means I didn't fully hear what they said, okay? So anyway, he says that if you hear God, if you know God, you'll hear God. If you don't know God, you will not hear and understand his gospel. And he says, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, because the spirit of truth is only going to lead you back to God, glorifying God. But the spirit of error will take you everywhere what but God and will profess God. So he says in verse uh, seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. So if you don't love God and your neighbor, you don't know God. Look at verse eight. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So as you can tell, those who know God will love God. They will hear his voice. They will speak of God and they will confess and profess God. So when you know God, you know, there's gonna be, it's gonna come out of your mouth you're gonna walk in those ways, you're gonna wait on him, and you're going to love him more than anything else. Unless we can get to this place of knowing God this way, we will always be subject to the spirit of error. If there's anything that you share your heart with God with, with someone else and they're equal, you are gonna give over to that thing and not God. Our God makes clear to us that he's a jealous God. And he says that no one should have any God before us. We should not have any God before us. So this tells you that if we love something just as much as we love God, that's a God. And what you can do is allow God to back off. But when you love God and you profess him and you spend time with him, then you will get to know God in a very intimate way where you can tell that's him. I'll give you an example of this. Let's just say this open school night. I remember this used to happen. So this is not an example. This is a reality. But when we had open school night where we had to actually go and, you know, you get your report card and, you know, I may have a few bad grades. So then I would tell my mom that the uh, teacher didn't like me. OK, so, you know, my mom would go down there to find out what's going on. And of course, I gave my side of things and then my, the teacher would give their side of things. And my mom used to say, you know what, that sounds like Derek. When it says he has a book report or whatever on the fifth, he didn't do it. And, you know, I try and talk to him, but he'll say this and he'll do that. My mom would say, you know what, that sounds just like him. And how does she know that? Because she knows me. Because she spent time with me. She's seen my habits. She knows my likes and dislikes. So I could lie all I want. 
about what the teacher did to me. But when the teacher tells their side of things, their side is more believable because my mom knows me. You see what I'm saying? So for us to know God and be able to profess him, if we know God in an intimate way like this, people can say what they want to say about God. But one thing you'll know is that's not my God. That is not the kind of music that God likes. God's not into this because that's not of his spirit. So when you know God in an intimate way, you can also know what he says and what he meant. And you know what he likes and he doesn't like. Why? Because he lives in you. That's so important. So, so important. So let's look up false prophets. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. Because you know what? In church, a lot of people love to say this was a prophet of the Lord that said this and that. Let's see. That's dangerous going to any prophet if they didn't come to you. You see what I'm saying? Let a prophet of God come to you and say whatever. And if it came from God, you'll know it. You see what I'm saying? But if you go and say, this person's a prophet, let me go and get a word. Now you're in dangerous territory because God will send them to you. You don't have to go to them. King Saul went to the, the, the source mm -hmm. of uh, what was it? Witch of Endor. Witch of Endor. Yeah. For a word. And uh, he proclaimed his own death. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. We're going to find another story in there like this. That was kind of sad, but you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 18. Let's begin at verse 9. Deuteronomy 18 and 9, he says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Now that's pretty clear. When God tells you, hey, when you come into the land, don't do as they do. He said, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Now, some people can say, because you hear it on the internet today, you got women, because you know, this was the uh, Moloch worship. They would take their kids, throw them in the fire to Moloch and sacrifice them up. You got women today talking about God told me to have an abortion. I'm wondering what God was this, because I know when the act was committed in my life, I know it was the devil, okay? I know that now. At the time being, I would have said, you know, well, God, you never know because God knows you young and you got to live. That's a lot. God will never condone murder of your own children, okay? Not unless they broke the law in those days. That was a different story, you know? But anyway, he says, thou shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination. What's that? Fortune telling or working with tarot cards or palm reading, okay? Or an observer of times, that's um, astrology. Then it says, or an enchanter, that's a hypnotist or a witch. That's someone that casts spells or deals in witchcraft. Or a charmer, you know, charmers are people that will give you objects. Talking about this is a lucky rabbit's foot, or I got this bracelet from Africa, and put it around your neck, and it'll give you good luck. Now, some people could say, my best friend gave me these things, but the God's word speaks clear. He's not going to go against his word in order for you to be happy. I don't care who gave you that bracelet. So a lot of people will go to fortune tellers talking about, yeah, well, my family, they are Christian, but you know they do this, and this is one of the gifts God gave them. 
You see, when you know God and you know his word, you won't fall for the snare of the devil. You don't have to sit around and ponder. I wonder if this came from God. You know it because God's word told you he doesn't deal that way. So it says, or a charmer or a consultant with familiar spirits. That's those people that, you know, they're like mediums. They speak to spirits and give you information. A lot of the times when people think they're dealing with prophets, they're really dealing with familiar spirits. Okay, because that person will actually speak to a spirit and then give you some information. So, you know, you've got to be careful with this. And then it says, or a wizard, that's a male witch or a necromancer. Necromancers are those who consort with the dead. Okay, so if anybody tells you, I heard from my grandmother, because there's Christians that'll do this. I heard from my grandmother last week, you know, because she comes to me sometimes when I'm sleeping, and I know that's just my grandmother and my mother protecting me. Hey, the Bible says, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes 6, that the dead know not anything, okay? The dead cannot communicate with the living. That's a familiar spirit. Familiar spirits are spirits that consort with your family that they've been around. Somebody opened the door to them, they hung around. And they'll watch you and figure you out and come to you to try and get you to believe other things. So he says, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So that's clear. But you see, a lot of people will try and Christianize it. And this is how the new age is creeping in and everybody's going to it. I don't care how much love people talks about, God's word will never go against what he says. If God tells you to do a thing, that's because God meant it. But you get a lot of people, well, it felt good and they were nice. And then if you say, well, you know, Jesus ain't for that, they'll tell you. But they did talk about Jesus the whole night. Yeah, but which Jesus were they talking about? Because the one of the Bible doesn't fool around with this trash. You see, but if you're given over to your feelings, then you're gonna, you're gonna know of the wrong Jesus and you're not gonna know the one of the Bible. We got people making child sacrifice, calling themselves Christian. That's crazy. So look at verse 13. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess, hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, that's Jesus, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now, some people, you know, you even have, because I got to make this point, there are Muslims that will read this version of the Bible, or this uh, scripture, and will say that this is Muhammad. You see, because it said that another one would be raised up. I'm not even kidding. They'll tell you that uh, Deuteronomy 18 and 15 is about Muhammad. But Moses said that he would be like unto him. So how is Moses and Muhammad related in any sort of way? They're not. You know, Muhammad, people even doubt whether he was a prophet at all because a lot of the stuff he said, he stole from the Bible. Their religion came out of the old covenant. And then on top of that, there's nothing like him that's in, you know, that's in common. How was how is Moses and Jesus alive? They were both born at a time when the devil was trying to kill them. They came into the world to save their people, okay? 
They had many similarities alike, Moses and Jesus. The way that Moses walked with God, Jesus walked the earth. The way that Moses stuck out his staff so that miracles could be done for God, you know, Jesus did the same thing with the touch of God. Also, when you look at the fact that Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. They have so much in common. Even Moses leading his people to the promised land and Jesus wanted you and I to make it into the kingdom of heaven. So as you can see, Moses spoke to God face to face. Jesus speaks to God face to Jesus. This is God in the flesh speaking to the Father face to face. Yes, sir. And another thing is about uh, <clears throat> the part in the wilderness is that when Moses was in the wilderness, the old people had to die off and mm -hmm. the new generation had to come in in order to go to the promised land. Mm -hmm. The same thing is with us, with the old man. The old man has got to die off That's so that right. new man can come at us and that we can go into the promised land. Great point. I never even thought about that. One generation, the old life has got to peel back. The new life springs forward. Great points. So you see, this is about Jesus. This is nothing, because this is even repeated in the book of Acts, this very scripture. So it's all about Jesus. But you listen to those lies if you want, man. You're going to be serving another Jesus. Look at verse 16. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, that means out of Israel, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So you see, this is God the Father, or Jesus, what, what you could pretty much say in the flesh, I mean, in the spirit, speaking to Moses about future prophecy. Now, you know that Jesus said he could only do what his father told him to do. So that's what we're talking about right here. So he says in verse 19, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. That means you got to own up to it and face God for saying God said things and he didn't. Verse 20, but the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if, so you understand, you can't play around with what God told you to say because God takes that real serious. You know, if you don't know what God is telling you and you want to say, well, the Lord told me, man, there are so many people that are going to have to face the Lord. I remember when I used to do that and I'm like, Lord, forgive me for the things that I said that I thought you said. You've got to know that God said it because if he didn't, you want to pay a price for that. And that's a scary thing. Because the Lord's going to say, by the way, why don't you tell me what I said? You know, and what do you, uh, you know, you didn't hear from him. You know, so just fess up and just say, but a lot of people will do this in church settings because they want to captivate the crowd. They'll be, I'm getting a word from the Lord right now and I can feel it. He's talking to me. So everybody can stop and you know, and, and what they're saying is garbage, not in every case, 
you got some real prophets. But one thing I've learned about being around real prophets of the Lord, they're going to speak it, they're going to say it, and they don't care what you think about it. But a lot of false ones, oh, you're going to have a lovely family. I see riches coming in your future. You know, see, man, that's garbage because how can prophets in those days speak real stuff that you needed to hear from God? And today they speak of prosperity. It's all garbage, man. That's why a lot of people are going to pay for that. Look at verse 21. And if thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When the prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. So if God speaks it, it will come to pass. You go to uh, Psalm 33, and I believe it's verse six. Don't quote me on that, but it's one of them where it says he spake and it came to be. He um, what did he say? He commanded and it stood fast. So what we've got to understand is how God even created the world was by faith. When he spake, it came to be. He didn't speak it and then wonder, I wonder if the sun is actually going to form. You know, no, when he spoke it, it was done. And if God uses you to speak or to bring the truth, it will come to pass. Thank you, Jesus. So he says, um, uh, that is the thing which the Lord have not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Uh, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So when God's word does not come to pass, you can wrap it up and throw it away. And don't be afraid of that prophet because he's lying to you. If God says it, it will be. Now, if God says it will happen in time, you know, it will come to pass in time. But if not, then it won't. Every prophecy that God gives doesn't come immediately. It's to warn to people to get right with Christ. Yes, sir. Um, it was Psalm 33 verse 9. Psalm 33 and 9. So you say, but when he spoke, it came to be. When he commanded, it stood fast. So the way that we know if something came from God is if he spoke and it came to be. We're going to get deeper into this too, because there's an article I want to read to you guys that can help. And the guy brought forth some good points, but I do know that there are some things that he said that I'm going to make the correction on because perhaps he didn't know. But this, let's look at 1 Kings 13. This is a sad situation, sad story. And this was the time of Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, and Jeroboam, who the people favored over Rehoboam because they thought Rehoboam was hard on them. Even though Rehoboam was hard on the people, God still made him king. But the people appointed Jeroboam to be king, and they followed him, you know? So that was to their fault. So anyway, this is First uh, Kings 13, and let's look at verse one. And it says, and behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, uh, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. 
And he gave a son that same day saying, this is the son which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam uh, heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar saying, lay hold on him and his hand, uh, which he put forth against him dried up so that he could not pull, <laughs> pull it again to him. So what, what, what Jeroboam was doing at this time was he was making sacrifices unto Baal, okay? That's in the, that's in the previous chapter in 1 Kings 12. He was making sacrifices unto Baal, so this prophet of God was sent to tell Jeroboam that these are not right, okay? That, you know, Josiah will come up one day and will destroy these altars and everything that you're doing. I think Josiah was like the only righteous prophet in that time. Even Hezekiah went left and came back to God righteous, but Josiah stayed with the Lord. But anyway, he says Josiah would come, tear down these altars, break up all these different things, and we'll stay with God, okay? But um, when Jeroboam, the, the king, the man-made king, came to tell his man to put his hand on that prophet, his hand withered away. So you don't want to mess with people of God. If God said a thing, he's going to bring it to pass. So anyway, he says in verse five, the altar was also rent and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the son which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So as you can see, God said it through the man, it came to pass. And when someone tried to put their hand on it to mess it up, you saw what happened to that hand. Look at verse six. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord and the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. What a relationship with the Lord. When you would just fly out, ask him, because this man was obedient and God heard the prayers of this prophet. Okay, look at verse seven. And the king said unto the man of God, come home with me and refresh thyself and I will give thee a reward. So what is he trying to do? Get the man of God and his good graces so that he can start working for him. Look at verse eight. And the man of God said unto the king, if thou will give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Why? Because this man's allegiance was to God and that's what God told the man in chapter 12. Do not eat with him, don't take his invitations, stay with me, you know? So this, look at this, uh, look at verse nine. Uh, For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord saying, eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So as you can see, this man followed God directly, this prophet, and he was successful. Now watch this. This is verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and the sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. 
the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, what way went ye? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. So here's an old prophet that people knew that is now looking for the man of God that was sent to um, you know, proclaim judgment. Look at verse 13. And he said unto the sons, saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass and he rode thereon and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said unto him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go with thee, uh, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said unto me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again to go by the way thou came, I mean, that thou camest. So this man is obedient. This man is telling everybody the same thing. And this is how we ought to be concerning God. If God's word says a thing, don't pretend like you didn't hear it or it wasn't the case. Or maybe, you know, through another interpretation, he meant something else. God's word is plain. But look at verse 18. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with thee into thine house and he may eat bread and drink water, but he lied unto him. So as you can see, this false prophet lied and said, well, I heard from the angel of the Lord too this morning. I'm also a prophet. So why don't you come back with me? You know, so he also said he heard from the Lord, but he lied. Look at verse 19. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that, that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah saying, thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and has not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and has eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, eat no bread nor drink water. Um, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. You know what that means? When you, when you, your carcass don't go to the sepulcher of your fathers because Israel were God's people. That means he went to hell. Okay, this is how serious God is. Look at verse 23, and it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled uh, for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him and his carcass was cast into the way, I mean, in the way and the ass stood by and the lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, 
It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the Lord of God, I mean, unto the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord hath delivered him into the lion, unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. So as you can see, these people don't have any kind of feelings at all. This was a false prophet that people trusted in. But you see, this the moral to this story is, because we don't have time to get into this. If you've heard instruction from the Lord, don't you take anybody else's word for it. You go with what you heard from God's mouth, what you read in God's Bible, that you know what God's word says. Because if not, you're going to be taken by the snare of the enemy. And there's a lot of false prophets today that are going or sending people to hell, talking about what they heard from the Lord. And because you look at his qualifications, he must be a man of God. I feel bad for this guy, but my thing is, if I didn't hear from the Lord myself, I'm not listening to you. I'm doing what the Lord said. Yes, sir. And on that note, too, sometimes, because I was, I've been guilty of this in the past. Sometimes when the Lord gives us a word, mm -hmm. we can ignorantly share it with others. And when we do, okay. and the Lord hasn't told us, that person can give you an opinion on what they think, and that could actually take deter you, you from the truth. Exactly. Absolutely. That's a great point because um, the thing too is, is that there were many things that the Lord had told me. And because I got a big mouth and I like to talk, some of those things never came to pass. You know, like if I were to say, I'll give you an example. There was a time, um, you know, when the Lord was, uh, I'll tell you guys later, but you know, cause you never know who you're talking to or what's going on. But yes, there are many cases where God can give you a word and if you share it with people too soon or not at his, not at what God tells you, it will not come to pass. I mean, it might if God said it, but God may allow that to not happen because you were disobedient. If he tells you to tell no one, then you tell no one. If he tells you to share it, then you share it. But when you tell people things, it's true, to the wrong person, they can railroad you from your belief that God told you. God may say, I want you to go out there and win 50 souls today. And when you get there, I'm going to drop fire down from heaven. And, and people are going to know that I am God. And you know what we do? I heard from the Lord today. So and he tells you, don't tell nobody. So, all right, exactly. You message them. All right, stand in the distance because I heard from the Lord and watch what comes to pass. And it'll never happen. Why? Because you had glory in you and not in God. You've got to obey God's word. So when you want to know if something came from God, either you heard from the Lord directly or it's in his word, which cannot be taken back. It cannot be refuted. It cannot be rebuked. God's word is the truth. And that's what we have to live by. If you go outside of that, people make a lot of excuses. That's what God said before. But today he means something different. Okay, so. Let the Lord come to me and tell me that. And if he don't step through that veil and speak to me, I'm going to believe what I need to believe. Now, I'm not going to use that term, step through the veil, because you see a lot of New Agers are New Agers today because something stepped through that veil. Right. Like there was a woman, uh, what's her name? Um, man, Jay-Z Knight. She's like one of the biggest 
false prophetess witches out there. She calls herself a good witch, but she heard from this uh, entity called Ramtha or something like that that she listened to. And she said, you know, one day he came right through the veil. And I believe her story. She said he was glittering and his smile lit up the room. And I mean, he was just, you know, beautiful. And she said, man, you're so beautiful. Who are you? And he says, I'm Ramta. I've come to take you over the edge or, or do whatever. But to this day, she has become a prophet for Ramta, spilling lies and, and putting spells on people. People believe in all sorts of garbage because of her experience. I'm not really mad at her. I'm mad at the people because you see, the experience that she got, she believed. But her problem is she wasn't anchored in the word of God. And when you're not anchored in the word of God, Ramtha can tell you anything and you'll believe it because of the spiritual experience you have. But the word of God says to try every spirit, okay? Because what comes out of Ramtha's mouth will determine whether or not I'm gonna listen to Ramtha. And Ramtha and the angel of God will never come to glorify himself. That's another thing you gotta know. An angel of God will never come to tell you, I am Gabriel and uh, you are to listen to me. And you know, um, Jesus told you not to worship him, but to worship me. That angel would be kicked out, bound and sent to hell for, for saying such a thing. So you see, any spiritual experience is gonna first lead you to Jesus Christ. They will not contradict the word of God and they will get you in line with what God wants for his glory and his purpose. But a lot of these fallen angels and demons have come to these people and these people can't put two and two together. They really do believe, no, it was real. I saw him and he spoke to me. But because they never got an experience like that in church, they're gonna go forward with this, but we can't trust any spirit. We've got to rely on the word of God because God will tell you what they are within two seconds of listening to Ramtha speak or whoever that demon was that these people listen to. But check online. New Agers have got this stuff going on all over. Hey, Sister Tara, you know, but New Agers have got this stuff all over going on, having people believe these experiences. But, you know, I can check them out with the word of God and know right away what they are. So when you know it came from God, it's going to glorify God and it's going to give you the guidance and understanding of Jesus Christ, not of ourselves. That's right. Absolutely. That's exactly how it goes. And you see, this is why a lot of people fall into snares. Why do you think the Bible tells us in Second Timothy chapter 2 and uh, 15? It tells you, study to shew thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's how you've got to be. But if you don't know God's word, you're gonna fall for what anybody says. I mean, you gotta get, you can't get wound up in your emotions. You've got to know God. So this is, I'm just speaking of ways of hearing God's voice now, knowing his word, identifying prophets, and what happens when we don't listen to the word of God. You see how that lion was out there waiting and destroyed him because God is like, if you're not going to hearken unto me, then what good are you? You see what I'm saying? If you're God's mouthpiece, 
you can't be Satan's mouthpiece. He says the sweet water does not mix with the bitter water. They're separate. So if you're going to speak for God, then it's going to be along with what God says and what God believes. You're not going to one minute say Jesus Christ is Lord, and the next minute you're leading people to romp them. See, there's something going wrong there because you're not hearkening unto what God says, what a real, uh, you know, real spirit of God would do. Yep. An angel of God is going to glorify Jesus in this day and age. Back then, it would have spoke of the Lord, you know, but today, every angel that crosses over is going to glorify Jesus Christ and turn you to them, and they'll never have you bow down to them because they know what that means for them. Exactly. All right, so let's go to Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah chapter 9. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's why I like that song when it talks about what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. You've got to know God. That's another thing that prayer does. It brings you closer to God. Uh, some of us go through so much pain and hurt and suffering. Why? Because we didn't seek the Lord who sees all. We didn't seek the Lord for his guidance and counsel. We knew too much. I know this situation and I know how to handle it. Jesus said, if the blind lead of the blind, both fall into the ditch. That's what this is about. Jeremiah 9, and I want to begin at verse 1. And then after that, we're going to hit the New Testament. Jeremiah 9 and 1. He says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people, of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place, a wafering man, that I might leave my people to go from them, for they be all adulterers in assembly of treacherous men. Now, if you notice, the prophet was never, well, except for the last chapter we read, but a prophet was never deceived in that, whether or not he knew God, because he spent time with him. But you would find whole towns given over to deception. He says that they were treacherous and adulterous. Look at that means cheating on the Lord and low down and dirty. Look at verse three. And they bend their tongues like their bows for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they uh, proceed from evil to evil and they know not me, saith the Lord. So uh, you see how you can go from evil to evil when you don't know God? Paul says, for all who will live godly will suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers, they'll get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Because when you don't know God, you've got no direction. If we don't know Christ, we're stumbling around in darkness. So that's what this is about. Look at verse four. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor and trust ye not in any brother for every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanders. So as you can see, this is such a corrupted society that even the brother, he said, don't even trust in your brother because he will supplant, he'll trick you. 
okay, because he doesn't know. And he says that your neighbor will walk in slander, will, be, will speak against God or in treachery. Look at verse five. And they will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to comment, to commit iniquity. So these people have no truth around them whatsoever. That's the society we live in today. You can't even get a good education because they speak lies. They speak against Jesus. They mean to turn you away from him. You've got people saying, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm this, I'm that, because people are speaking lies and going against the truth, which is in Christ. You can call yourself anything today and it'll be okay because these people want iniquity. They do not want the truth. Look at verse six, thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. So you see deceit, you know, some people can say, it's not my fault that I was deceived, but there comes a point where it is your fault when God is screaming to you, telling you the truth, giving you his word, having true ministers speak to you and what to do, and you don't want to listen. Remember what 2 Thessalonians 2 says, God shall send them strong delusion and they will believe a lie. Why? Because they receive not the love of the truth. If you want to go to lies and fantasies, you'll be turned right over to that spirit of error and not walk in the truth. And this is what you got today. Because everyone that's born into the lie of the serpent, nobody wants to hear Jesus. And, you know, that's why so many people are lost. So he says, I believe I'm in verse seven. He says, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the, for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit, one speaketh peaceably, and his neighbor with his mouth, um, speaketh peaceably uh, to his neighbor with his mouth, but um, in heart he layeth his way. So as you can see, this happens a lot, where a lot of people smile in your face, Hey, brother, I love you. You know, praise the Lord. But deep down, they can't stand you. They hate your guts. They mean you harm, you know? And that's something to think about. We need the Lord to be able to discern who we should and shouldn't be around. So look at verse nine. Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? For the mountains will take I mean, will I take up a weeping and wailing and for the habitations of the wilderness, a lamentation because they are burned up so that none can pass through them. Neither can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the fowl of the heavens and the beast are fled or um, they are gone. And I will make Jerusalem heaps uh, of the den of dragons and I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. What is he talking about? He's speaking about at the time that Babylon came to take over Jerusalem because they would not hearken unto the voice of the Lord and cleaning up their act and doing what God says. So he says um, in verse 12, who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken? that he may declare it. For what the land perisheth, 
and is burned up like a wilderness and none pause it through. And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. So as you can see, this brings light to when you read Proverbs, when it says, acknowledge the Lord in all thy ways and he will direct thy path. And he also says that um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Remember, we started with that. Now you look at these people, they're going their own way, trusting in their own heart and walking in their own path. And when you're like this, you can't know God. And he says they, they will walk after Balaam, which their fathers knew not. Balaam is every false God that you know of today in every false religion or everything, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they all worship Baal, okay? So this is what he's talking about. And a lot of these holidays today, all of them worship Baal, got nothing to do with God. Verse 15, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them even this people with wormwood, with bitterness, and give them water of gall to drink. So remember when Moses was dealing with the golden calf, remember? Because that golden calf worship was a type of Baal worship. Remember when Moses came down and saw the image, he didn't just destroy it and leave it at that. What did he do? He, he destroyed the image, the, the golden calf, grinded it down to powder and strawed it and made them drink it. You remember that? Because he wanted them to understand their bitterness that was in them. Idolatry is bitterness to God. It's against God. So when you worship something more than God, that gives God a bitter taste in his mouth towards you because you love something more than God. It's just like if you were to cheat on your wife or husband and you tell them about it, you expect them to be happy or to just be, no, it's okay. They're going to have a bitterness in their mouths like, you know, man, I order. You ever see when they make them faces? Give me one reason why I should kill you right now. That's bitterness. And you know that they put a bad taste in your mouth. So this is one of the things that will cause people to not know God because they're spending their time and their hearts in other places. Look at verse 16. I will scatter them also among the heathen whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I, till I have consumed them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider ye the call of the morning or for the morning women, that they may come and send for cunning women, that they may come and let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids gush out with waters. So Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet because you see, when you're somebody that you know God and God shares his heart with you, you realize very few things he shares with you are gonna be happy moments. You will delight yourself in him and all that he does, but God is gonna show you the wickedness of things. He's gonna show you the deprived people that need to be saved. He's gonna show you the reality of how desolate and wicked this world is. And that's gonna fill your heart with sorrow when you look around and you see people going to hell 
If you know God, you love your neighbor and preach the gospel. But if you don't know God, you're gonna just wallow in your own success. How can we preach about prosperity and you got people going to hell every day? Man, there's, there's something wrong with you because this is not a laughing matter. This is not a time to glory in all you can have here. There are people going to hell that will stay there and never get out. Even your soul is in jeopardy for not knowing Christ and doing what the Lord says. So this is what we got to pay attention to. Verse 19, for a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O ye women, and let your ear retreat, I mean, receive of the word of his mouth. And teach your daughters wailing, and everyone her neighbor lamentation. For death is come up into the windows, and is entered into our places, uh, to cut off the children from without, and the young men from the streets. So he's saying, you know what? Let these women come, and teach your children the lamentations and things that are going to happen. This is not a happy story. This is not something to delight in. But you see, everybody preaches a Christianity that is happy. I don't want happiness. I want joy. Joy is what you have in the midst of sorrow. Happiness is what you can get in the here and now. And then two minutes later, you're sad or you're upset. Joy stays with you because joy is spiritual. So you see, when you know God, you can have that peace around you. I want God's joy. Look at verse 21. He says, for death has come up into our, oh, I read that, verse 22. Speak thus saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon an open field and as the handful after the harvestmen and none shall gather them. Thus saith the Lord, let not wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which have which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So God's delight is that we may know him is that we may seek him for understanding. So you see, a lot of people misquote scripture when they tell you, well, you know, um, ask and God will give you the things of your heart. It says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you things according to his heart. There's a big difference there because when you delight in God, you're becoming more like him. And when you're becoming more like God, then you can actually go. You see what I'm saying? And your desires will be his. God's not going to give you what you want in your fallen heart. I mean, what would be the point in being saved if that's the case? Because yeah. you're going to pick out everything that's against him. But he tells us to delight in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. So you see, God will give to a heart that is like his because God knows he can trust you with it and you're going to glorify him. Anything that turns you away from the heart of God is not of God because it's God's will that we become 
like him. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two, and let's look at verse one. Now you guys remember in Mark 16 and 15, the Lord says, these signs will follow them that believe. In his name, they will cast out devils. They would speak with new tongues. They would take up serpents. If they drank any deadly thing, it wouldn't hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And what did it say? The apostles went with the commands of Jesus, confirming the word with signs following. So you see, they were able to confirm that God sent them and used them because of the fact that there were signs following. You know, when they told somebody to get up out of a wheelchair or whatever they had in those days, they could actually prove that God told them to get up. Why? Because that person would be healed. You see, God always confirms his word if we just obey him and we do what he says. If God's will is for it, you don't have to beg for money. You don't have to look for a place to get what you need from it. God will finance it because that's God's will. We got to understand this because a lot of people have fallen victim into the snare of, well, you know, get people around and try and see if they'll donate. I don't waste my time with that anymore. If there are times when this ministry needs, my sister will call me just out of the blue. Okay, Derek, the Lord told me to send you this and she'll send something. Or God will make a way where, you know, like at that time when we needed to go out and feed the homeless, I'm like, hey, we're spending more money than we actually have to help out. What did the Lord do? Give me something out of thin air that, you know, we're living off of and he's using and working. So I know when God has a purpose for something to be done, God will finance it. God will bring it to pass, but it's got to be in line with God's will. And that's how you know it came from God. You ain't got to beat up people or talk them down or, you know, you a bunch of no good whatevers because y'all are not helping God. You don't have to do that. If the spirit leads you to, then great. But if God wants something to be, God doesn't waste time. That's one thing I know about God. If he's going to do it, he may have you wait until you reap the benefits of what he wants. But when God wants it, he'll finance it. Smith Wigglesworth even talked about that, how a young man was called of God, had no money or anything. And God told him he wanted him to go around and preach. Do you know what happened? God financed it. Money was coming out of nowhere to support this young man to do the will of God. And I'm finding that to be true myself. When I don't think about money, when I don't look for it, but God knows my heart and I delight in him, it will come to pass if it's of God. That's how you know it came from God. But if you got a man guilt tripped and do all this other stuff to get stuff, hey man, that's between you and the Lord. But I, I'm just saying from my experience, from me knowing him, God provides for me and I don't have to go and seek it myself. Exactly. How he works with somebody else is different. He told one prophet, don't go and eat with them. The other prophet lied to get whatever. But as you can see, hey, this is what he told me. I don't know what he's telling everybody else. <laughs> um, where did I say go again? <laughs> First Corinthians chapter two, sorry. 
And that doesn't mean sit and do nothing, okay? Mm -hmm. Sometimes God will want you to get up and do things so that he can act. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But he even told him back in the last chapter, don't trust in your brother and don't trust in your family. In a wicked and corrupt society, they couldn't be relied upon. But God can always be relied upon. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. He says, I, brethren, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, uh, declaring unto you the testimony of God. But I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you don't think Paul was delighting himself in the Lord? Paul knew the Lord. And you know what? When you fully know the Lord, that is all you know. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Somebody said, where's the money gonna come from? I don't know. All I know is Jesus, God will provide. And hey man, you are a fool. You just sit here and you think God's gonna help you? God will provide. You know, you've got to trust him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look at verse three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So when Paul went to proclaim the gospel, Paul could actually demonstrate the fact that God sent him. You see what I'm saying? And look at what he says in verse five, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's not enough power of God on display today. This is why people go into the new age. This is why people go into witchcraft and voodoo because they want to see something happen. But you see, God's people are to walk in that wisdom and that power. They need that demonstration of Christ. And when God is for it, he will confirm with signs following. That's the God we serve. So anyway, he says, um, and so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, because people can debate all day long. But when the power of God shows up, nobody can deny that. Look at verse six, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, that means mature, yet not the wisdom of this world. For, it, for of the princes of this world, I mean, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. So Paul is speaking to the mature. He says to them that, you know, he speaks wisdom among them that are mature, perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. So Paul doesn't get man's wisdom to try and speak of what God wants. Paul picks the wisdom of God. And he said, trusted in the princes of this world, they'll come to nothing. You know why? They got limited resources. But when you know God, you know that God can do anything. Verse seven, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard Neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. 
for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So in order for you and I to get the deep things of God or to hear the voice of God or to do the things of God, we've got to become spirit to spirit with God. We gotta spend time with him. And you spend time with God, you won't be asking the pastor if something came from God, you're gonna hear from the Lord yourself by knowing him whether or not something is right. And once again, it will not contradict the word of God. You see, but a lot of people, you know, they'll tell you, well, God told this woman or this man that that's my husband or my wife. God sent them. And then you say, okay, well, are they saved? Well, no, but you know, like we working on that. We're working on it. It's supposed to change in time. Hey, if God said that, then true. But what my Bible says is, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what right does Christ have with Belial and light with darkness? So you see, God's word will confirm the truth. But when people go out and do all this, you got scripture, you can pull up and tell them they're lying. It's written right here. But they'll know, well, you know, because we just sort of love each other, you know, and they believe in, in their God too, in a way, you know, like, do they believe in Jesus? Well, I call him Jesus. He calls him Muhammad. So the answer is you don't believe in Jesus. But people will try and make anything God when God's word stands totally against it. Exactly. Don't deceive yourself. Cling to the word of God. So you see the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. But what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but, but, but the spirit of God. So as you can see, God's spirit reveals these things to us. Um, verse 13, uh, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but the Holy Ghost teacheth. So you've got to be taught of the Holy Ghost to be able to get the deep things of God. And what do they do? comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You cannot put spiritual and natural together. The two are contrary one to the other. Spiritual things will be compared with spiritual things. Why would God tell us something spiritual for you and I to live carnal? That doesn't make any sense. Yes, we're in the flesh, but we get spiritual understanding because we're living the high and the new life. Why would you give new words to an old man? Why would you give a new baby old teeth? You see what I'm saying? You know, you couldn't do that. So you've got to compare spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man, that word for natural is the Greek word sukikos, which means, you know, dominated by your five senses. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. If I didn't hear it, I don't believe it. And you see, a natural man will be guided by his senses where the Bible tells you and I to walk by faith and not by sight. When we do walk by sight, it's with spiritual understanding because the Bible also tells us about having spiritual gifts, to desire them. One of those spirits is the discerning of spirits. It doesn't mean discernment. All Christians have discernment, but it's talking about discerning of spirits. What type of spirit is it? 
Who's speaking to me? What's this about? That's important because a lot of people can go together to meetings and they're having a ball, but they don't realize the devil is in the midst causing discord. You've got to know through spiritual understanding, that's not of the spirit of God. And I know it, you know, because God will make that known to you so you can deal with the situation. But today, there's not a lot of spiritual discernment. So people don't know what comes from God and what happens. You got the devil in the front row. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, and nobody can tell that's the devil there. Joe Osteen will smile like, and you know, I just love you all and all this stuff. But you see, he's evil because he's leading people to hell. But if you've got no discernment, you're just going to sit there and you're going to enjoy the show when you should be thinking about, you know what? My spirit feels convicted in this place. There is no Jesus mentioned, but you see, if you desire anything more than Christ, you can fall for the snare. So he says these things are spiritually discerned, meaning what? You've got to be intimate with Christ. Mm -hmm. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So you want to know if a judgment is righteous? It will glorify God. If it's not righteous, it will be in favoritism or what you want out of the lust of your heart. For who have known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what does it take to know God and know if things came from God? You need the mind of Christ because your own mind and your heart will deceive you. Thank you, Lord. You know, in your spare time, John 4 and 24, but God is a spirit and them that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God outside of the truth. I know it came from God, but is it true? Well, it depends on how you see it. You got your truth and I got mine. No, the truth is the truth and everything else may just be a fact or you know what someone believes, but the truth stands on God's word and anything against God's word is not the truth. That's how you know it came from God. Let's look at Matthew 7. We're almost done. We're going to run over a few scriptures, and I want to read this thing. Matthew 7. I think I'm going to read this thing right now because I want people to have understanding of this. I'm telling you, you don't know Christ, you're going to fall for the okie doke. That's how a lot of people get snared and don't know what they believe. Okay. Um, they don't study the Bible and they say, well, my church is okay with it. Well, the pastor said that it's okay. So they believe what the pastor is, which is mm-hmm. completely wrong because I had to with my used to work with us. And I'll tell her, I was like, well, this is not what the Bible teaches. You can't do that. She's like, well, my pastor said it's okay. So I don't see nothing wrong with it. That's when you be like Gino Jennings. Your pastors are liars. All of them. Well, I mean, every last one of them. That's you know, why people get up on these holidays because the pastors are preaching. Them, so everyone say, well, the pastor does it, so that must mean it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, man, it's like some are ignorant to it, and that's when you tell them. But mm-hmm. they've also put their pastors on a pedestal, so they won't tell them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, he's a man just like everyone else is. Take yeah, we're all pedestal. subject to error outside of God. Exactly. These are great points. 
Because see, and, and that's the spirit of Antichrist is to put anybody before Jesus. Yeah. It should be, this is the standard, not what you feel in your heart. Because we've already talked about whenever people went according to what was in their heart, look at what happened to them. So this is called eight key ways to knowing God's will for your life. I'm going to make some corrections along the way because this guy is kind of worldly too. I'm not going to give his name, but you know, he brings up some great points, but there's some things you can tell. Nah. So anyway, he says, when I was a young man, I seemed to continually wrestle with knowing God's will for my life. I waited more. Oh, I wanted more than anything uh, to follow his plan. Interestingly, uh, now that I am old, currently 47 years old, I still wrestle with doing his will in my life. We all do. He says, I have come to learn that this is not just something that a young person does early in life. It is a lifelong pursuit in order to stay in the exact center uh, of his plan and to trust in it. Amen. So then, how can we know God's plan for our lives? Over the past 25 years that I have been in ministry, I have discovered eight vital keys to knowing God's will and plan for your life. Here they are. All right, here's the first. Walk with God. For starters, if you are interested in knowing God's plan for your life, then you must learn to walk with God. You need to develop a relationship with him. Christianity is all about a relationship rather than just religion. And it's not religion, you know, but it is all about a relationship. And so you must cultivate your relationship with God. You must seek to know him and not just seek to know him, know about him. Um, you will cultivate that relationship best by spending time in his word, taking time for prayer, and taking every opportunity you can to be involved in church and small group Bible study opportunities. Um, it says, when you seek these disciplines uh, in your life, God will begin to first step to revealing, will begin the first step to revealing his plan uh, to you. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We read that, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. This is the second one. Surrender your will to God's. I agree. Many times when we say we are seeking God's will, what we are really wanting to say is, um, say to God is this, okay, God, here's what I'm planning to do. Now I need you to rubber, I need you uh, to rubber stamp this, all right? And then it says, I must tell you that it is not really effective in finding his true will. He says, before God will begin to reveal his will to you, you must be committed to doing whatever it is he desires for you to do. God's will, God will likely uh, be slow to show you his plan if he knows you will likely not do that plan anyway. That's true because it'll bring about more disobedience. So God will slowly show you what he's doing for you because if you don't do it, that's just another strike against you. So you're better off following him. And then what he uh, backs this up with is Romans 12, one and two. Now we beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and not be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he's right. Jesus was willing to die for us. So shouldn't we be willing to live for him? When we surrender to him, that is when he really begins to direct our steps. You should be willing to die for him too. Now just live for him. That's what this is about. So this is three. Obey what you already know to be God's will. Many people seem to want to know what God's plan is for their lives, but they overlook the fact that 98% of his will is already uh, delineated carefully through his word. God is very clear about many, many aspects of his will. For instance, it is, um, it is clearly his plan that we abstain from sexual immorality, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. Now, you see, this is true because what a lot of people will do too concerning this is, you know, they'll read God's word. And he said 98% of it is in God's word. I agree. How can God command all his disciples and everybody to do this? But you look for some other easier way that accommodates you in the flesh and say, this is God's calling for my life. That's a lie. You see what I'm saying? Because if he commanded everybody to preach the gospel and you say, well, my job is just to dance. I dance for the church and somehow I glorify God. You can dance and glorify God, but that ain't the whole calling for your life. Your life is to use that gift that God gave you to draw people to Christ. You see, everybody wants the easy route. No one wants to evangelize. No one wants to be on the front lines. They just think if I speak it, then they will come in. Because if we didn't go out in the streets and talk to people, I wouldn't be doing this either. Because that's hypocritical. I'm going to preach. But then I get out there and, well, I don't think we should go out. Why don't we just give them a card of the address so they can come here? No, you've got to go out and get these people. You've got to talk to people. Exactly. (sighs) Okay, so he says, uh, if we do not obey the things that he has shown us clearly to be his will, why would he think he would reveal any further information regarding his plan for our lives? Obedience is important, first step. This is four, seek godly input. One key component to finding God's will is to seek the input of godly advisors in your life. If you don't currently have three to four godly mentors, then I would highly recommend that you seek them out right away. I agree. Because you see, you do, he says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's the word of God, you know? Even if your mentor is on YouTube, so be it. They may speak and say something that you're like, that's true. Praise the Lord, you know? So anyway, he says, um, uh, think of it this way. You should understand that you are basically a composite of the five people you spend the most time with. So then it is vital that you choose those five people well. You don't choose them at all. You let God do the choosing. And it says, if you choose to surround yourself with godly advisors, they will be instrumental in helping you discern God's plan for your life. But if you surround yourself with people who are far from God, your hope in finding his best for your life will be greatly diminished. This is not true. 
because that's why you tell people, seek the Lord. You understand God's got everything for you. You can go to somebody and they can tell you God's plan for your life. Two other people will agree and it could be wrong. Did you seek God for what the plan is? But he did say that godly advisors will help, but they're not the end all be all of decision making. Okay, so Proverbs 11 and 14, he put, uh, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude, the counselors there are of there is safety. This is true. And God is, and church is designed to help you greatly with this. I would encourage you to be in church every single time the doors are open. The more you involve yourself in the community of believers, the greater your chances are of finding godly men and women who can help you discern God's will. True and false, okay? Yes, there is truth in that, but you gotta have God guide you to those places. The reason why I say this is I'm not going against this guy. He sounds like a brother in the Lord, but here's the thing. I have seen over years how many people are ignorant that sit in church of God's word. Now, why is that? You see what I'm saying? So you've got to go to a church or a setting because he did mention churches and Bible studies. I always tell people, if you can't get it here, then go where you can because it's important that you learn, you know? But here's the thing is that we've got to seek God in all things. But yes, I do agree that the word of God says not to forsake the assembling together, especially since the end days are approaching, that we should be around one another to encourage one another, to help one another. But if you're in an ignorant church that they don't even know anything, you can be surrounded by 5,000 and still be deceived. Look at Joel Osteen's church. Look at Creflo Dollar, TDJ's. But I do understand where he's coming from, and I agree with most of it. This is five. Pay attention to how God has wired you. God has created you to fulfill a specific role in this world. There is no one else who can achieve completely what God has purposely created you to do. Amen. The Apostle Peter gives us this admonition this morning. This is 1 Peter 4 and 10. As each, as each one uh, has received a gift, minister to, minister to one another as good stewards in the manifold grace of God. God has gifted every one of us to perform a special mission for which we alone were created. How amazing is that? Wow. You know, so um, when you seek to discover God's will for your life, Pay attention to how he has gifted you. His plan for you will always be directly related to the gifts that he has bestowed upon you. The great news is that you will automatically be good uh, at whatever it is he has called you to do. Yes and no. You will be good because God gives gifts and the gifts of God are without repentance. God will never take them back. But you know, he says you'll be good at it right away. Some gifts take time to develop because you know something, the Lord taught me a lot in ministry, but you know what I needed from the Lord? When to use them, how to use them. It's not good enough that you know, it's not good enough that you exercise your gift. You've got to let the Holy Ghost exercise that gift to refine you and to know. I mean, you know, people have heard my first sermon I ever did. 
it's online. But yeah, I knew a lot of stuff. And I really didn't know a lot more than I know now. Maybe some things, you know, God is showing me more intimate things, but I didn't know how to word it. You see what I'm saying? You can know a whole bunch of stuff, but then when the time comes, you, um, well, um, you know, first of all, I'd like to, um, cause you know, God is good and God is on your side, but you really don't know how to do that. Or you can just jump out, start talking about the new world order and people, you know, abhorred or like, you know, like, what is he talking about? And then you try and talk about the love of Jesus afterwards. Man, you got to let God use your gift where he can bring you to the place of practicality so that people can understand it. Yeah. But man, knowing is not enough. You've got to be refined of the refined of the Holy Ghost to be able to present that gift. <laughs> you know, praise the Lord. So anyway, um, this is six. He says, listen to God's spirit. Amen. I experienced a major turning point in my own prayer life when I learned simply to shut up while I was praying. That may sound odd to you, and it seemed odd to me at first. You see, I used to do all the talking. Hey, brother, you ain't alone. Sometimes I still do when I pray to God. But then several years ago, I read Bill uh, Heibel's book, Too Busy Not to Pray. Uh, that book completely changed the way I approach God through prayer. Since reading that book, I have added a significant component to my prayer life. Listening, I take time to listen to what God might have to say to me. Practically, uh, the way I go about this is to bring a notepad with me when I sit down to pray. Then I write at the top of several pages things like the following. What is the next step in my career? You know, you can throw that out the window. I mean, unless God wants you to work a particular place to preach the gospel, then it says, what is the next step in my ministry? What is the next step in my family? What is the next step in my marriage? I agree with all of these. What is the next step in my education? It should be the Bible. What is the next step in my finances? Only God knows. But you see, God can direct finances. God can direct you while in education, but God can direct you in marriage and family and ministry and your career. But we can't believe in any of these things. We've got to let God lead us through all of it. We can't idolize him is what I'm saying. So it says, during my prayer time, I meditate on questions such as the above. Often God will start flooding my heart with ideas and information regarding one or more of those questions. I write as fast as I can as he speaks to my heart. What a glorious experience that uh, that is to sense his spirit on me, guiding my thoughts and words. So I agree with what he's saying here. You know, it's just, I don't want people to get the wrong impression, but I do realize that when God speaks to you, he does speak fast sometimes and he doesn't repeat himself. That's why it is good to carry something with you. You can ask God to repeat it and he can bring it back to you. But yeah, when God speaks, A.A. Allen said the same thing. That when God spoke to him, he was speaking so quickly that I couldn't really grasp it, you know, or get it. And I think it's simply because, you know, there's the spirit and we're in the flesh. But, you know, if he would repeat that to Gabriel, they would get it. You see what I'm saying? They would understand what God is saying. So, you know, um, 
these are this is great, you know, for us to listen to. And he says these things were life changing to him. John ten and twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Amen. This is uh, number seven. This is where I disagree with him. And part of it, listen to your heart. In addition to listening to the spirit, I also recommend listening to your heart. To understand my point, here consider the following passage. This is Psalm 37, four and five. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. That's not the same thing, you know? So this is where he's misunderstanding because if you trust in the Lord or you delight yourself in him, then, you know, it says he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not thinking from your heart. When you delight in God, you're intimate with him and your heart will become more like his. So he'll give you the desires of your heart, which is his heart. But you see, the Bible tells us in uh, Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So you don't trust in your heart. You trust in God's heart to to get your heart in line with his. So he says, I love this passage because it shows me that when I am walking with the Lord, he will actually let me do many really cool things that I actually love to do. When you are close to him, he actually begins to shape your desires so that you desire the things that he already called you to do. Now, that's true. Now, I agree with that. But, you know, you've just got to make sure that it's not your heart that's seeking and it's his heart. So he says, so then his plan actually becomes a super exciting adventure. I always have the most fun in life when I am doing God's will. Me too. And that is because he shapes my wanter. Like, you know, the thing that makes you want uh, to want to do the things uh, for, for which he has actually created me. This is eight. Take a look at your circumstances. God often clearly demonstrates his plan for our lives by lining up circumstances in obvious ways. And he also shows us that his will is not for us to do in the same way. What? Not for us to do in the same way. Uh, It is not his will for you to take a job that is not offered to you. uh, For, I mean, if you are five, six, uh, five, five feet, six inches tall and weigh 125 pounds, it is not likely that God has created you to play professional football. Well, you ain't got to worry about that because you won't even get drafted, okay? Because they're not, they're going to look at you and just make it clear. You're not cut out for this, buddy. So anyway, it says, over the years, I have discovered that God is pretty good at opening and closing doors. Yes, he is. He even did that for the Apostle Paul in his entourage in Acts. Take a look at this passage. This is Acts 16, 6 through 10. Now, when they have gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach a word or the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, uh, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And um, 
And a vision appeared unto Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And then it says, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, you can have experiences like this. He says, for everyone that is led of the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So great point. This is a closing thought. The next time you begin to ponder God's plan for your life, I would encourage you to mull over uh, the above eight keys. I'd say seven and a half. Use these principles to help you to hone in on his plan. And when you seek his will earnestly, you will find it. Amen. I totally agree with that. But, you know, these are ways of knowing what God wants for us. How much time have I got? I said go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, look at verse 13. And he says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. So if I know that there are few that find the straight and narrow gate, why would I go with the majority if they're speaking against Christ? Yeah. That should tell you something. See, so God doesn't want us deceived. And, you know, and people will tell you today, there's many ways to get to Christ. And it makes everybody, including Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims, feel secure. But the fact of the matter is, while you guys are all feeling warm and fuzzy, you're all being lied to. You see, so God's word is all about following the truth. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So you see, they'll come looking friendly. You can't trust in your own sight, your own heart, your own feelings. You need the discernment of spirits to be able to know what is of God and what is not. He says, uh, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. So you'll know them by their fruit. We did a teaching like that on Michael Adams' show before, but it made clear you can't call yourself an orange tree Okay, if you produce apples, if there's nothing, if there's nothing on your tree, how can you call yourself an apple tree? You can't. So Jesus is saying, man, this is so simple. You will know them by the fruit that they bring. Are they preaching the truth and are they walking in it? If they're not, that is not a fruitful tree. And it won't be. So he says in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So when these people are saying, Lord, Lord, these are people that believe that they know Jesus. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. You've got to know Christ. 
because you see, it's not so much about these people prophesying and doing this. These are people that believe that this came from Christ. You think God is the only one that's got power? The devil and his angels have power too. And there's a lot of things that new agers can do that will make you think this is godly, but it's not. They're getting that power from demons or from the devil. You got Indian gurus that can walk through walls, that can drive a car in the back seat blindfolded. These people have real supernatural power. There was one guru, they said he was under a tree fasting for six months, no food or anything. But you see, demons can give you that kind of power to do that. Just like the, the spirit of God empowered Jesus to go 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, the reason he did it was significant. Jesus could have fasted longer than anybody. The bottom line is he's got the will of the Father. The number 40 is a number of transformation and rebirth. So that's why he did it. He obeyed the Father. But what good would it have been of Jesus? Because some people would say, well, you know, how do you know if Jesus, um, you know, he couldn't have fasted longer than that? He had more important things to do, like obey the Spirit. It's not about how long you can wait up under a tree. One guy had the nerve to tell me that Buddha, he fasted for 40 days too, so it wasn't just Jesus. And I said, yeah, where did Buddha get it from? He said, oh, Buddha was before Jesus. And I said, Elijah and Moses were before Buddha. So where do you think he got it? They fasted for 40 days. So you see, even though Buddha fasted 40 days, what did he do for man? He didn't save one soul. Okay, and he told his people, don't follow after me, find your own way. Okay, so how is that any type of savior? If I find my own way and lean on my own understanding, guess where I'm gonna end up outside of Christ? And there are people that were in Buddhism that found Jesus Christ that said they saw Buddha burning in the lake of fire in hell. They saw Goliath in there, they saw Buddha in there, they saw like quite a few people that you think are like, you know, this is a, a spiritual person. But the Lord had to tell that man, remember that man died for a few days, went to hell, and he came back to life. It was in uh, Myanmar, I think, somewhere out in the South Pacific. Yeah. But he said, God took him and saw even his elders in Buddhism in hell. Why? Because everybody went to try and feel good. And when he saw Buddha in hell, he was like, Lord, like, you know, like he couldn't believe it. And the Lord said, I'm giving you a chance to go and talk to people. And when that man came out of that experience, he lived for 27 years preaching the gospel, even to the Buddhists, because they said his body stank. He was in a casket. They were about to embalm him like fluids were coming out of him. And the Lord, um, he came to life and told his family, everybody, Jesus Christ is the way. What the Christians are saying is true. Don't believe in Buddhism because it comes from hell. That's why we gotta know the Lord. Because look at what he says in verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not because it was founded on a rock. That was Christ. So if you do what God says, God will make sure that you will stand. And he says, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not will be likened unto a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. The rains descended 
The floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When God has a plan for your life or God tells you a thing will be, it will last. If it's not of God, it will not last. It's just fool's gold. It's just a snare of the devil. It's a plan to pull you off the path with God. But when God tells you something is, you're going to find that thing and do it. Every day ain't going to be good on the job. Everything ain't going to be good in the marriage. Everything ain't going to be perfect. But one thing is for sure, it will endure and God will get the glory. But if it's not of God, man, you will know it because it goes against God. A lot of people are married to their husbands and their wives and talking about God gave me them. But then you ask them, how's your relationship with the Lord? And they, well, you know, I go to church when I can. Okay, so how's your wife feel about it? Well, you know, she's always upset. You know, we argue and things like that. So I can't always be there when the Lord calls me, but I can be there when I can. She wasn't sent by the Lord. And if she was, she's now demon possessed. Okay, and she's going again. She's fighting against God that she may need deliverance. But one thing about when God gives you something, husband, wife, job, whatever, God will be glorified in the end. It will never be according to your will and your purpose. God is going to situate that thing right in the middle of what he wants. You know what I'm saying? You guys get what I'm saying, but it's got to be Christ-centered. How are you going to have a wife that hates Jesus Christ and God gave you to her? He wouldn't put that burden on your life. You see what I'm saying? That burden comes when you lean on your own understanding. Like she got a big booty. You know, she's pretty. You know, man, she might be evil, but she sure can cook. That ain't got nothing to do with the saving purposes of God. It's got to be in line with what God wants. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to, because uh, in your spare time, read Matthew 25, where he tells those foolish virgins, you know, depart from me. You know, I, I don't know you. Why? Because they did not take oil in their lamps and spend time with the Lord. They took their relationship and intimacy with God for granted. And they thought that they were in the light. And then they went to go and buy for themselves and come back. Oh, now I want to be serious, Lord. He said that was probably the coldest time you ever heard Jesus say, I know you're not. That was it was one sentence. It wasn't even depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, he didn't even tell them what was wrong. I know you're not. Close the door. They're knocking. Lord, let us in. I don't know you. That's cold. That's cold, man. When he gets to that point of, I gave you time to get to know me. You chose not to. Anyway, uh, Hebrews 4. We're just about done. Hebrews 4. And I'm going to go to Hebrews 5 too. We're going to go to Hebrews 4 and let's look at verse 12. These are all going to be short scriptures. God trying to wake his people up, man. Hebrews 4 and 12, he says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. So, you know, the spirit is the place where we connect with God and the soul itself is your mind, will, and emotions. Well, the word of God cuts around the soul and the spirit 
and and it, it says, um, what does it say? It's a discerner. No, um, okay. So uh, it cuts around soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. So God's word digs deep. Why? Because it wants us sanctified. God doesn't like secret sins. God doesn't like hidden sins. God doesn't like us to sin before him and not confess those sins to him. God's word will always direct you and I to repentance, intimacy with God, and turning away from our sins, okay? And departing from unrighteousness. But he says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you see, when you hear the word of God and God's word points you towards holiness, and somebody's trying to come up with their own word with foolishness, then you know deep down that's not of God. You see what I'm saying? God's word is a discerner. It shows us what's in our hearts. Like for example, if I can say I love all this stuff, you know that I bought and the things that I have, and this is what I love. And the Bible tells you, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see how deep that word cuts? Because if you love something that's in the world, now it sits back and makes you think that my heart's not with God if I love the things in this world. So what is that meant to do? Help us with discernment and make us check the intent and the thoughts of the heart. Are my thoughts for God or are they for the world? Hebrews 5. And let's look at verse 12. Hebrews 4.12, Hebrews 5.12. God's trying to show us something. He says, and this is Hebrews 5 and 12. Hey, Brother Jake. He says, um, for when, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So this is kind of sad to think about that God is looking at us at a point where, you know, you should have been a teacher by now, but you still have need that someone teach you again. I'm not saying we're gonna ever get to the place of, I don't need a teacher. Cause even Priscilla and Aquila helped Paul out with some things, even though Paul was a man of God, okay? But the point is, is that they would get together in fellowship. So in many ways they were iron sharpening iron. Right. But when you've been in this thing for years and years and you have need that someone teaches you again, you know what that means? You've been taught before by either God's spirit or God's word or a teacher that God sent. You've been taught before, but you're still going back needing milk and not meat. That means you haven't matured. So you're at the place of, okay, see, I don't like to hear all about tribulation and persecution. I mean, let's just talk about the good side of things. Let's talk about what we can have in salvation. There's something wrong with your learning there because you need a balanced diet. You need the good and you need the hard stuff. You need fruit, vegetables, and you need meat, you know, or whatever you're gonna have. But you can't just eat meat and you can't just have sweets. You've got to have power and um, negative and positive charges to get power, just like a battery. Yeah. But these people, you know, they have need of milk and not of strong meat. You've been sitting in the church 30 years 
and still don't want to serve God and God still hasn't revealed your purpose to you, I think it's because you're giving too much to the pastor and not enough to the Lord. Verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. So you see that when you use milk, when someone, all they could do was talk to you about the love of God, don't get me wrong. The love of God is the most it is important because that's why God sent Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ endured the cross. And that's why you and I preach the gospel. It's all centered on the love of God. But if I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to tickle your fancy and make you feel warm and fuzzy knowing that we've got to fight with a fire breathing dragon sooner or later. Yep. You want to get people equipped to do what God says so that we can wage an effective warfare. He says that that person is a babe when you're still on the same old stuff. Verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you've got to spend time with God and grow in God that the spirit of God can discern good and evil. You gotta have your senses exercised. It's just because somebody's sitting in church smiling, talking about, I love the Lord, that could be a witch. Yep. You've got to have your senses exercised. Russ Dizdar told the story because he deals with these people. These MK Ultra witches and these mind controlled victims, they go into places like churches and they'll usually be like one of the best people in church. You know why? Because they're acting. They'll help you. Oh, brother, whatever, let me help you with this. Oh, sister, whatever, let me help you. And I just love the Lord. And, that, you know, they're so, oh, let me help with the kids. Or let me do this. So there's a woman that came in that was with the church for a while. And Russ Dizdor said, you can always tell who they are because they go above and beyond. And they are unusually really sweet. You see what I'm saying? It's like they go out of their way to gain your trust. They can meet you today and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, take my car. You know, go to the store and do whatever because they're trying to gain your trust. They don't have a natural discernment like most people that would say, well, you cool, but I don't know you like that to have you in my house or whatever. Or I'm not going to eat your food just because you made it or whatever. Well, long story short, this woman during a you know festival or get-together they were having made a cake and... um you know, he said the cake looked good and everything. And everybody in the church, they were sitting in there, grabbed their forks and their knives, and they were getting ready to dig in. They couldn't wait to eat. And Russ Dizor said, wait a minute, because the Lord told him not to eat the cake. So the people were like looking at him like, man, we want to eat, man, you know, whatever. So he looked at it. They broke the cake open. There was blood and urine in the cake. Now, witches use stuff like this. Because, you know, they um, they know if you um, you put menstrual blood in somebody's food and you're a witchcraft worker, that person's mind could be scrambled. And the urine, that's an old witchcraft spell that they do and that they put in food to mess with people's minds. So you see, you need discernment. Now, the Lord didn't tell Res Desdor, man, go ahead and bless it and break it and eat it. Now, God could have said that and the cake could have been cleansed out. God can do anything. But God gave Russ Dizdor discernment because it wasn't so much about the cake being clean, but who's in the midst 
that can cause trouble. And that's when they learn to go against her. So you can't just go for it. Well, food might be dirty, but you know, I'm going to bless it and God will sanctify it. He can, but that wouldn't have taken care of the problem with the devil woman that's walking around the church, giving out food. So you see, you must obey God in order to have what he wants you to have or be effective in what he calls you to do. We must have our senses exercised to discern good and evil. Let's go to uh, Ephesians 5, and I'm going to close from there. Ephesians 5, and I am done. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Ephesians 5, let's look at verse 1. He says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ hath also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Savior. Uh, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let not be once, I mean, let it not be once named among you as becoming saints. So if we're saints, we've got to drop the filth. Greediness is in there, uncleanness and fornication. He says, don't even let these things be named among us, let alone do them. And he says, um, as we become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So you see a lot of Christians, myself included from time to time, I'll get involved in foolish talking and jesting. Why? Because I'm feeling good about some things, but the Lord is making clear it's not convenient. I mean, while you're sitting there, hoo, hoo, ha, ha, you could be preaching the gospel. You see, so if you come to people with a joke and they walk away from you not knowing Christ, that's counterproductive to what God is doing for us. But anyway, he says, um, look at verse five. Uh, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now, this is important because a lot of people come with vain words. A lot of people will tell you, man, don't worry about it. Live your life. Just make sure you give God some time. Like I said, I would love to do that. If you can show me in the Bible where it's written and God is okay with it, we've got to live for him. So he says, um, the wrath of God will come on these people that are in sin. Look at verse seven. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. In the, uh, you, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we can't compromise this gospel. We can't compromise what we believe for the sake of people. You know, the clean will be with the unclean. And those who are righteous will walk with God. If God goes to an unclean person and he uses you to do it, to preach the gospel, you're not going to be compromising your values to be with them. You're either going to pull them off on shore. If they're too heavy and refuse to go, you got to let that hand go. You know, back out to shore they go. Look at verse 9. 
For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So what are the fruit of the spirit is? Look at what it is. In all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So God, the commandments that he gives will be in goodness. They will be according to God's nature. In righteousness, they won't have wrong in them and in truth. So there'll be no lie mixed in it. It will be the truth, okay? And look at what it does in verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That means to expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But in all things, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So that's one thing the light will do. It will shine on darkness. When a lot of people just want to hear the good message and they don't want to hear about sin, those people are in darkness because guarantee you, if you read God's word and you sit up under it long enough, it will shine something on something you're doing, okay? It will shine light on something dark that we're committing. What's the purpose? To get us in that right place with God. Verse 14, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So if God tells us, and Paul is saying it here, that we should walk circumspectly. What does circumspectly mean? To walk looking around in circular form, being aware of your surrounding environment. And he says the reason that we need to do that is to redeem the time because days are evil. Now, there's some people that will tell you, I don't need to do that. God is my protection. I walk in his authority. I do what I need to do. That's not Bible. You can walk in his authority, but you don't walk in his authority as a fool, okay? Because some of the wisest men that God has used, the devil has made foolish. You can't, what does he say? Don't be um, ignorant of the devil's devices lest he get an advantage. So it's possible that the devil can get advantage over you. That's why you've got to see. You can't walk in blindness. I mean, yeah, you can believe God, but even God told Paul and them, I don't want you going that way. I want you to go to Macedonia. You've got to trust God. Okay, so he says in verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Praise the Lord, you know, but that's what this is about. I mean, you guys read further down in your spare time. It's going to talk about how husbands and wives ought to be before the Lord. But the bottom line is this. We will know what God wants. And if things came from God, if we know God, if we know his word, 
and if we cling to God in spirit, okay? That's how you know God, in spirit and in truth. You've got to spend time in his word and you've got to believe what he says. So I just wanna tell people with that, you know, that, um, you know, this is what the teaching is for tonight, that we will know God and we will know what comes from God when we spend time with him and we are partakers in his word. So I just wanna tell people with that, I love you. Sarah's gonna present something and then we are gonna close from there. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Isaiah 41 and verse one. Isaiah 41 and verse one. Stop reading. Start reading. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword, and has driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. So in other words, if we stay with the Lord and we trust in him, then he's going to provide for our every need. He's going to always take care of us, even in our darkest hour. You know, our faith, and this is something I think it's really hard for some people to grasp because of the prosperity doctrine that's been preached today is that our faith is going to be put on trial. How do we know it if it's never tested? And so that's what a lot of people are not seeing here. But the Lord is always with us. Even in those trying times, he is always there. Verse five, the isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smoothest with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. So verse 7 was like really interesting to me, and I looked it up um, under John Gill's uh, commentary. And so I want to read this article real quick. Isaiah 41 and 7. Uh, and he gives the verse to so the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. The carpenter, when he had made a wooden image, encouraged and hastened the goldsmith or the finer as some render to it to do his part in covering it with plates of gold or silver. Silver, And he that smoothed with the hammer him that smote the anvil. He that beat out in thin plates of gold and silver with the hammer in order to decorate the wooden god encouraged the smith at the forge that smote on the anvil, there uh, making nails for the fastening it to a pillar or wall to hasten his work, saying, It is ready for the soldering. For the several joints to be put together by the soldering them, by soldering them, and he fastened it with the nails that it should not be moved. Either the goldsmith and the finer fastened the plates of gold and sil silver with nails that they might be kept fast and close to it, 
or the smith that smote on the anvil and made the nails, he fastened the image with them at some proper place so that it might not fall or be taken away. All which, it, as it represents the hurry and solitude idolaters were in to keep up wherein to wherein to keep up their craft and religion so it exposes them to ridicule and contempt so we don't believe in idolatry or anything but if you look at this we can actually use this in our own life because if we have the word of the lord fastened in our hearts nailed in our hearts so to speak then it's not going to come apart you know we're not going to be separated from the lord's word but we have to have that in our lives you know if we did actually what other religions do I'm not saying partake in their ways, but if we love the Lord and study his words the way that other religions study their word, then how much closer to the Lord will we actually be? <laughs> you know? So, so that's that's the point I wanted to bring up. That's what I have. Absolutely. And those are great points because the Bible tells us that we need to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Yeah. But she brought up a great point, you know, and I want people to think about this. If you check out those that are involved in Kabbalah and Judaism, and you look at those who are Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim, those people pray for hours. They fast for days. They take their beliefs so serious, you know? But if only the Christian would get out there like the Jehovah's Witness who are not Christians, okay? I'm just making that point. But if the Christian would actually get out there and do what they were doing, you know how many people would turn to Christ? Those guys stay out there on the corner. They'll knock on every door. They take their religion seriously as they serve a cruel taskmaster. But you see, God wants us to come with a free will offering and give ourselves to him. So I just want to say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this better than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. You can repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, desire God on the inner man, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Believe that he died for you 2,000 years ago and that he was sent for the Father. And every debt that you have caused is paid in the blood of Christ. Believe on him, read his word, get baptized, and spend time with him that Christ than you may be the hope of glory. So I just want to say to people out there, I love you and uh, let's pray out. Okay. Anybody want to pray? Right. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Thank yes, you, Lord God, for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the preaching of the word, that we are going to get our lives right with you and sanctified, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love and your patience and your mercy upon our lives, Lord Jesus Christ, that you did not treat us as our sins deserve, Lord God, because you have a bigger plan, a greater plan for our lives, Lord Jesus, and we need to seek you to know what that plan is, Lord God, because... We can't get comfortable in our situations. You could be calling us to a place, Lord, to a time that it just doesn't seem like it's for us. But you know what we are capable of doing, Lord Jesus. Yes, and Lord. I pray, Lord God, that the gifts that you have placed upon our lives, Lord, that they do not return void. That we use them, Lord Jesus Christ, for your glory, to the salvation of others, Lord Jesus. But that calls for us to get outside of our thinking. 
That calls for us, Lord God, to get outside of our minds and our will to serve you, Jesus, in all things. And I'm praying, Lord God, that's exactly what we will seek. Because it's not some religious experience that saves us. It's coming into a relationship with you, Lord God, that saves our life. Yes, Lord. It saves our life from hell, from a literal and a physical hell. That's what it saves us from, Lord Jesus. I know so many people today, Lord God, say, ask, why doesn't God just accept me the way I am? Because you wouldn't be a true physician. You wouldn't be a true healer and a deliverer if we came as we were and you didn't just take us from our situation, Lord God. If you didn't turn us around to serve you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for your healing power. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for for taking us away from the hurt and the pain and the hatred and the unforgiveness. That has been sown in our hearts by the enemy, Lord Jesus. Thank yes, you, Lord, Lord God, for doing those things for us. Thank you, Lord. But it's a will of wanting to be changed in our life, Lord God. It's a humbling situation, Lord God, to get rid of the pride that's in our life. And I pray, yes, Lord, Lord Jesus, that we lay every situation down at the foot of the cross and follow after you, Lord God. I'm praying for those individuals out there today, Lord Jesus, that have had seeds of unforgiveness sown in their hearts. Seeds of hatred, seeds of bitterness, seeds of molestation, seeds of homosexuality sown in their hearts. I pray, Lord God, today in the name of Jesus that you speak to them, Lord God. Let the Holy Ghost speak to them that they will repent, Lord Jesus, and come to know you and to be set free from the lies of the enemy this very day, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ, because it's not too late until we die. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, because you delivered us all. You delivered us all, Lord Jesus Christ, from the sin nature. And I pray that we just stay with you, Lord God. That we be those ministers of righteousness that you've called us to be. I pray for an anointing of the Holy Ghost upon this ministry and all ministries out there today, Lord God, proclaiming the name of Jesus. In truth and in righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to ask, Lord, that you watch over, you know, uh, a lot of people the Lord's been putting on my heart to pray for. I want to pray for my brother, Carlin, Lord. I want to pray for my brother, James. I want to pray for others that are out there. Brother Michael Adams, Lord, uh, Ethan, Ethan Lee, uh, my brother, Greg over in Italy, my brother, Rock T. Okay, Lord, look after him. Also, um, my brother, uh, Uncle Obvious and all these others, Lord, uh, sister, Oh man, Joni Deputy, and so many out there, Lord. I'm just asking that you watch over these brothers and sisters, that you guide them, Lord, that you look after them. But we only got one enemy and that is Satan. So I just pray in the name of Jesus that you bind the devil, that you break their backs, that you keep them in good health and that you watch over them. I pray, and my sister Melissa, just so many out there, Lord, that are going through things. I pray in Jesus' name, our sister Devin, Lord, and so many, just watch over them, Lord, guide them and keep them. Let all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Tomorrow night, I'm planning on doing a teaching called The Shepherd and His Sheep. So if you guys tune in, it'll probably be 7.30 uh, Pacific time and uh, 10.30 Eastern time. And if not, you guys just catch it on the rebound. But till then, have a good night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.